Well, good morning. It's good to, to be with you all. My name is Tim, and this is my last week here serving as a pastor at the Olathe campus, but not at Christ Community. As Nathan alluded to, next week I'll be uh, in Shawnee with many of you starting, um, starting that new campus. And so, so we thought it made sense to kind of have me come up and preach, since I won't be seeing many of you uh, very much from this, this day forward. Um, but I do confess that means we didn't think about those of you, you going to Shawnee. And so I was having a conversation with someone this week, and when she found out I was preaching, she was, she was disappointed. <laughs> she was like, I, w- I want to hear Nathan one last time. Because I'm going to have to hear you every week from this day forward. <laughs> so the Shawnee campus is off to a really good start. <laughs> People are already tired of me. And I think she was joking. I'm going to pretend she was joking at least. Um, but all joking aside, it's, uh, it's kind of a unique morning for us as a church. And so why don't we pray as we jump into this text. It kind of gives us some unique things to hear um, this morning in our unique moment. So let's pray. We all need God's help to hear from him. So let's, let's ask for that help. God, we thank you that you're a God who speaks, a God who sends his son, and a God who empowers us with your spirit to understand your word, to be equipped to love you and to serve you with our lives. Help us to hear now. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're all becoming something. The only question is what? And when I was 24, I thought I had already become a preacher, a pastor. And so I did what probably no 24-year-old should ever do. I began to look for a job at a church where I could preach every week, be the lead pastor. And perhaps even more surprising than my self-confidence that I was ready to preach was that there was a church actually willing to hire me to come and preach. And so at 24, I was a lead pastor at a small church in a small town in Indiana, the Oasis Church. And I loved that church. And I could say with confidence, they loved me as well. They were really kind to me. But it was weird. That I preached on sex and marriage as a 24-year-old unmarried single guy. (laughs) And it was even worse than it sounds. That I was expected to give leadership to the children's ministry, even though I had never spent a moment of my life in children's ministry. That I was expected to lead the elder team of, of guys who were twice my age. And it wasn't long before I was quickly overwhelmed and outmatched. But it wasn't from children's ministry or elders teams. It was just feeling the daily overwhelming reality of trying to help people walk through this life. As a pastor, what do you say to a family grieving a death at the hospital? What do you say to the teenager experiencing and wrestling through same-sex attraction? What do you say to the father who's abandoning his wife, abandoning his kids? I just was quickly outmatched, overwhelmed, not sure what to say or what to do in those moments. Now, I loved... Jesus, and I loved his church, but I began to wonder if maybe God had a different way forward for me, something other than being a pastor. And so I made the decision at 27, married at that time, to go to Chicago, go to seminary, which is where I came to Kansas City from. And, and, and seminary really was supposed to be a sense of God determining what's he calling me to do, what's he want me to do with my life, to be this sort of quest of understanding what he has for me in, in my future. And so I went I quickly realized with a wife and kids, I had to work two jobs while I was going to school, which meant 80 hours a week 
at school or work, sometimes more, and I was just worn out most of the time. It was far from what I hoped it would be. One of my jobs was at Starbucks, and so I felt like I just had this complete side thing going on that had nothing to do with this quest of finding out who I was and what God was calling me to be. That there were times when I did not want to write the paper that was due the next day. Or there were books that I, I read for class that were so boring they should not have ever been written. And I quickly found myself in, in places I didn't want to be, doing things that I didn't want to do. I was becoming something. I just didn't know what. And this experience I hoped for, I longed for, to, to, to guide me, for God to show me what he was calling me to do and be, I suddenly was wondering if it was going to happen or not. That we all are becoming something. We go through that process of being formed. And what's interesting to me is, is we just heard a text that said Jesus went through the same sort of thing. And I know it's the last thing we expect to hear of Jesus, but, but Luke repeats it so that we don't miss it, right? He says it in first in verse 40, that the child Jesus, he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. In verse 52, he says almost the same thing, right? That Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. What does that mean that Jesus increased in favor? Increased in wisdom, increased in strength. Well, Jesus, like us, he was being formed into something. His life also, this text will show us, is, is different than how you and I often approach our lives. Now, maybe you're not a Christian, and, and your only picture of Jesus is from bad Christian art, where Jesus has really soft hair and soft skin. He looks very otherworldly. Right? Or maybe you're a Christian, and that's your view of Jesus. And yet this This text takes us away from that. Jesus was a kid who had parents and who had disagreements with those parents, right? That's what we just read about. That Jesus spent most of his life as a carpenter, probably had blue, um, or had callus on his hands, working a blue-collar job. That Jesus, the Son of God, lived most of his life doing what you and I do every day, dealing with family complexity and going to work. That Jesus went through the same sort of things we went through in life. But how he approached it is fundamentally different than how we tend to approach it. Because even Jesus had to submit. Even Jesus had to wait. Even Jesus had to become. But unlike us, he embraced the waiting, embraced submission, embraced who he was called to become. And so this morning, as we look at this text, we'll see we're, we're, all, we're all becoming something. The only question is, is what? And so let's look at Jesus under those three headings. Even Jesus had to, to wait. Even Jesus had to become. Even Jesus had to submit. So first, even Jesus had to wait. But the, this is the only story we get of Jesus' childhood. And if, if you're like me, that, that's sort of disappointing. I wish the Gospels were full of stories of Jesus from his childhood. Did Jesus ever use his miraculous power in a Little League game? Did he ever get a math problem wrong? What did he do when other people made fun of him? And yet, this is the only story we get from the gospel writers who lived with and knew Jesus and followed him when he was alive. And so I think that's why a couple hundred years later, a few people thought, we need to fill in the gaps. And so they just made up stories about Jesus' childhood. And the stories they made up, actually one became an entire gospel called the Gospel of the Infancy of Jesus Christ. I want to be clear, these things were made up because they did not happen, but they wanted to fill in the gaps. What was Jesus as a child like? And so a couple stories. One was... Jesus was on the Sabbath one day, and, and he was out, and he took some clay, he formed a pigeon, and he, he breathed it into life, and it became alive. 
But there was a boy there who didn't like this because he thought you shouldn't make clay pigeons and breathe them into life on the Sabbath. And so he told Jesus off. So Jesus told him off and the boy died. That's story one. Story two, this is my... It's my favorite. Well, I shouldn't say it's my favorite, but Jesus was in class one day. He was learning that the teacher was trying to teach him the alphabet. And, and as he's teaching the alphabet, I mean, Jesus is the son of God. He invented the alphabet. He doesn't need to learn it. And so the, the, the teacher's teaching it. Jesus then asks a question, which was kind of insubordinate, kind of disrespectful. So the teacher goes to get the whip, to whip Jesus. And as the teacher comes to whip Jesus, the teacher falls down and dies. Right? I mean, that's that's sort of what we expect to read, maybe minus the stuff where Jesus is killing off his teachers, right? We, we expect this miraculous, powerful Jesus who's in control and, 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 and front and center. And, and to some extent, that's what we get in Luke 2. And yet, in, a, in another way, it's, it's not at all what we see. Jesus does amaze. He is brilliant. People are in complete awe of, awe of him. He's ready. But then he goes and lives in obscurity for the next 18 years of his life. That he waits. That even Jesus had it to wait. And Jesus waits in, in interesting ways. The, the first being that Jesus, Jesus went to church. And I know that they didn't have churches there. I'm sort of updating the language. But, but Jesus entered into the weekly, the yearly rhythm that any Jew would have entered into at that time. I mean, that's what we read in verses 41 and, and 42. Now his parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. But Jesus, he celebrated the feasts. He went to synagogue. Even though he was God, the Messiah, he sat under other rabbi teaching. But Jesus entered into the weekly rhythm God called his people to. Now, I often expect God to work, or I want God to work in big and powerful and miraculous ways. And God does work in that way. But often he works in, in rhythm, in repetition, which is why God commanded weekly worship, yearly feast to engage in, because it's there where God shapes and forms us. Right? God shapes and forms us right? in, in normal ways, right? over cups of coffee in a church lobby, in the space of a community group, where over time you're just talking about work or family or, or, or disappointments or joys, and suddenly people who were strangers become like family. Now, God works in, in the ordinary, in the rhythm of life. And that's why Jesus entered it. He didn't opt out. And if Jesus entered those weekly rhythms of worship and celebration and gathering with God's people, we can't opt out of those either. Because going to church, it's, it's like a meal. You're, you're not going to remember every meal that you eat. Every meal is not going to change your life. In fact, sometimes you might not even like what you have to eat. And sometimes you just have to eat your vegetables. But over time, if you don't eat, you starve. And as you eat, you grow. You get stronger. You're strengthened. You increase. And that's what Jesus entered into, is this weekly rhythm of worship, engaging with God's people. But Jesus, the child, didn't come performing miracles, turning clay pigeons into life, bumping off his teachers. He didn't do that. He went to church went to worship, read God's word, prayed. The same things you and I are called to do throughout scripture. And he was formed through that process into the person that he became. The person who, while he was being killed innocently, forgave. The person who only gave his life away, even to those who disrespected or hated him. 
a person whose anger never got the best of him, a person who's always under control, that Jesus became the sort of person he became because he entered in to this rhythm of worship and engaging with God's people. Jesus went to church, and that's how he waited. Even though he was a Messiah, he could have taught, he could have taken front and center. He didn't. He waited. But another way Jesus waits is, is, is interesting. We can't miss it. Jesus is ready, but he, he still waits. And that, that's really the point of verse 46, which we can't miss. It's really the center of, of this passage where Luke writes, After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, it's important for us to, to, to see this, that in, in that day, to ask questions was to teach. Like for us, when we ask questions, we're learning, but that's not what Luke is saying here. Jesus is there at 12 years, he's instructing, he's teaching, and they're amazed. They're, they're blown away that he's ready. It's not like he's 12 years old and he needs to grow and figure it out. No, he is ready. He's brilliant. He's amazing. And yet, he'll go and live in obscurity for 18 years after this moment, which raises a question. Why? If he was ready, why did he wait 18 years to go and be the Messiah, to go and do his ministry? And I think that question reveals something you and I often miss in our culture, in our time, in our place. And that is most of my life has been spent waiting. Right? In middle school, I couldn't wait for high school. High school, I couldn't wait for college. College, I couldn't wait to get out and get a job. And when I went to seminary, I couldn't wait to find out where I was going to go next. When I got to Christ Community, I couldn't wait to find out where my permanent home would be. Then I couldn't wait till the Shawnee campus was going to start, although I won't be waiting much longer for that now. Right? We're always waiting, and it's, it's really easy, right, to check out in the waiting, to just think, well, when that happens, when that takes place, then I'll be able to enter into a life. Then I'll become what I want to become. And to do that is to miss that it's in the waiting we're formed, it's in the waiting we're becoming who God intends us to be. And you can probably relate, right? Maybe it's your job, that you want to find a new one, but you just haven't found a better place. Or maybe you're waiting for a promotion, and it hasn't happened. Or maybe it's your kids, right? There's just a difficult stage or a difficult season happening. You're just waiting for that season to end. So we can always wait and look ahead to the next thing, and yet we can't miss that, that Jesus is being formed in his waiting here, that in the waiting, we're becoming something. Now, what's fascinating, fascinating to me is verse 52, when, when Luke says that Jesus grew in favor with God. Well, he was a 12-year-old. Right? He was growing in favor of God, just being a faithful 12-year-old, of going to temple, of obeying and submitting to his parents. Right? That, that at his baptism, God the Father says of Jesus, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And all Jesus had done at that point was work as a carpenter for 18 years and be faithful to his parents. He hadn't done anything spiritual. He hadn't taught anybody. He hadn't done any miracles. All he had done was live a normal human life. And yet God says, I'm well pleased with your life. That in the waiting, we are formed into something. So wherever you're at in life right now, whether it's your job, whether it's, it's your kids, if you're waiting, don't miss that in this moment, God is forming you into the person he means and intends you to be. Enter into that process. Wait. Even Jesus had to wait. Well, what happens next is no doubt going to be the least favorite point of the sermon, which is even Jesus had to submit, which is, let's be honest, that's almost a curse word in our culture today, submission. 
And before we jump into that, though, what, what happens in this text is so confusing to me. I, I still, I don't, I don't understand what happened, right? Mary and Joseph, they lose Jesus. Which, if, if you're a parent, it's worth taking a step back and just being encouraged for a moment. Because <laughs> Jesus was perfect. Mary and Joseph had a perfect kid. Okay, not perfect like you think your kids are. Like, he was really perfect. And so parenting's hard even if your child is perfect. Right? You're going to lose them. Right? Or if you, all of us, right, we've all lost a kid at some point, in the mall, grocery store, somewhere. And if you ever do that in the future, have done it in the past, at least you can say, you never lost the Messiah. Right? <laughs> so Mary and Joseph, they find him, they, they, they get to Jesus, and they ask him, what have you been doing? Where, what, what happened? And Jesus' response in verse 49, we can't miss it. It really it marks a shift in Luke's gospel. Jesus says this, He says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And I confess, I don't really understand what he's saying here either. Except for, in that day, to be in your father's house was to be like your father. And Jesus is saying to Mary and Joseph, I think in a kind way, not disrespectful, not not angry, any of that. He's saying, I'm not Joseph's son. I'm, I'm God the father's son which is why I'm in his house, learning his ways, teaching his word. That's my calling in life. That for Jesus to say, I should be in my father's house, wasn't to explain his location, but his vocation, what he was called to be and do with his life. And so that's why he's in the temple. That's why he is not with his parents. But what's interesting is even though Jesus says, listen, Mary, Joseph, I'm the son of God, what happens next it should just blow our minds. It says Jesus even submitted to his earthly parents. It says he said to them, or verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. That Jesus, the Son of God, he didn't just submit to the will of his Father in heaven, that God the Father, he also submitted to his earthly parents, which should just, it should be shocking to us who don't want to submit to anybody, and we're not the Messiah. Jesus submitted to his parents which is absolutely countercultural to how we think we are supposed to become something. Right? We think in order to become, we need to be free. We need to, to let go of constraints. We need to not have in, things inhibiting us. We need to, to be free. And, and that's why if you watch any movie or read any book about finding yourself or about going on a quest, it's almost always going to include you've got to leave your spouse, you've got to quit your job, you've got to sell your possessions, you've got to get rid of that stuff that, that holds you down. Right? That's why in Frozen, Elsa tells us that that it's, it's time for her to, I should have had this memorized, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, let it go. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> Although I really wanted to. Right? And that, her attitude, it reflects ours. Of course, in a few minutes after she sings that, she makes a big snow monster and almost kills her sister, but maybe we shouldn't listen to her. Right? And that's, that's our attitude, right? We need to be free. We need to let it go. Now we're all becoming something. And there are really only two ways to become something. One is, is to become what you want, to follow your own way, to follow your own heart, trust your intuition, guide and, and, and clear out your own path. And that's what most people do. And that's, for most people, what helps you become what you really should become. And there's the way of Jesus, submission, submitting to his heavenly father, Submitting to his earthly parents, submitting to death, even death on a cross for us. Even Jesus had to submit. 
And Jesus' way, it's different than ours. And I think for us, we, we need to hear the warning of what it means to, to follow our own hearts, the destructive way of that. And G.K. Chesterton, had an author from the early 1900s, had a really memorable quote that, that just is the warning of, of what it means to worship the God within, to follow our own hearts, our own tuition. He said this in his book, Orthodoxy. He said, of all the horrible religions, the most horrible is the worship of the God within. That Jones shall worship the God within turns out ultimately to mean that Jones shall worship Jones. Let Jones worship the sun or moon, anything rather than the inner light. Let Jones worship cats or crocodiles, if he can find any in his streets, but not the God within. I love that. It's, it's just such a memorable quote. That, that Chesterton's saying, it's better for you today to go out, if you can find a crocodile or a cat in your street, go and kill it, stuff it, put it in your living room, pray to it, and have it direct your way of life. That's better than trying to, to guard your own, guide your own path, trying to follow your own heart. That is a better way. It's, it's a dangerous path when we follow our own hearts. And I know that's completely countercultural. But the reality is if we're not submitting our thoughts, our will, our life to something outside of ourselves, we'll never become the sort of person Jesus became. Sure, we'll forgive, but we'll never forgive the really hard people to forgive. Sure, we'll serve, but we'll never serve the people who Jesus served, the very people who crucified him and cursed him. Sure, we might be, be generous, but we'll never care for the, the poor or the vulnerable the way that Jesus did. You'll never become the sort of person that Jesus became, selfless and trusting and kind and gracious, unless you do the things that he did. And one of those things was submit. Right? So our context, it means submitting to a boss, even a boss that's hard to submit to. It means submitting to a disrespectful coworker, maybe, and, and working with them through, through hard conversations. Kids, and this is going to be the, the, your least favorite point of the sermon, kids, it means submitting to your parents. Right? It's there, it's Jesus did it, and it stinks, I know, and I know I'm a parent, you're like, you're low, that's, that's not fair, you're a parent, you would say that, I would say that, I know, it's not fair. But Jesus submitted to his parents, trusted them even when he disagreed, was respectful even when they made mistakes. And we should be the same way because in those acts of submission, we're becoming the sort of person that God intends us to be. That's where we're formed, is in the submitting, in the waiting. It's hard. We don't like to do it. But that's the only way we'll become who God intends us to be. So even Jesus had to wait. Even Jesus had to submit, but the, the hardest part for me to get over is even Jesus had to become. And, and I know, I want to be careful here, because I'm in no way saying Jesus had to become God. Right? Jesus was born, he was the son of God from birth. Right? He didn't become better, he, became, he was God from the beginning. But, but, but in some sense, we have to take verse 52 seriously, right? Luke says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I confess, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to figure out what that means. That yes, Jesus was God, but he was also human. That he got stronger, he grew, he became more wise. And what's amazing is that Jesus grew in strength and wisdom and favor with God in the ordinary places of life, right? right? But his baptism, he's 30 years old. The father says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't done anything but work a job and be a son. That's all he'd done. And God says, I, I see favor and I'm well pleased with your life. 
he lived an ordinary life, and, and yet he became in through that to what God was calling him to be. And this is what I find so compelling about Christianity. It's normal. Right? You're a Christian not by selling all your possessions, moving out into the desert, and just living there until Jesus comes back. No, you're a Christian by, by going to work, loving your family, working through the daily complexities that is this life that we have to live. And it was there, in that place, in the ordinary place, that Jesus grew in wisdom, grew in stature, grew in favor with God and with man. And it's there where you will become what God intends you to become. It's there where God will shape you and form you into the person he means you to be, in the ordinary, at your work, changing a diaper, coaching your girls' soccer team, just sitting in class, at at practice with your teammates. This is where God makes you into the sort of person he wants you to be. Jesus went through that same process. And so to revisit where we started, I went to seminary hoping God would show me where he wanted me. And seminary helped, right? Read, read lots of good books, lots of good professors. But what surprised me was this, this side thing, my job at Starbucks, became incredibly forming. And, and a huge reason why I ultimately felt God wanted me to go and be a pastor. And that was what his call in my life was. Because that Starbucks was an experience I needed and, and all of us need. Obscurity. The one great way for you to become who God means for you to be is for no one to notice you, for no one to know you're there. And that's what Jesus did for 30 years. He, he worked a, a job anyone could have done in a town that no one heard of. And he was just another kid who went down to the Passover feast with his parents, who one year showed his brilliance. But other than that, we don't know of Jesus doing anything significant as a child. He learned to embrace obscurity. And I learned that lesson well at Starbucks. <laughs> All right, at times it was the customer who was on the phone while I was trying to take his order. Right, don't be those people. At times it was the person who was really angry that we got their drink wrong and they just yell and, and, and disrespect you in front, of, in front of a whole store. At times it was my boss who made me work nights, which meant I didn't get to see my wife or, or my son that day. At times it meant scrubbing these drains that we dumped everything down and they just they smelled like they were Satan's dwelling place. It was awful. It didn't matter what it was, but those moments of obscurity shaped me, formed me, showed me what I missed in my first go around at trying to be a pastor in Indiana. I don't need much, and we don't need much to be a church. We just need good news and the presence of Jesus, and we have both of those things. Jesus learned to walk the life that you and I walked. The normal everyday problems, the normal everyday nuisances, he walked through it all so that he could walk through your life with you. And we're a church, what what makes us unique is, is not that we can give great answers, not that we always have the right thing to say, not that we always can give just the right moments or just the right answer to just the right question. That's what my time at Starbucks taught me. That working with people who didn't know Jesus, I I found quickly, they didn't care about any of the questions that I wanted to answer for them. They already had answers, and they liked them. What they didn't have and what they wanted to know was that God was present, that he was really there, that he hadn't abandoned them. And sure, that's something we can offer to people, the presence of Jesus. It's what made me want to be a pastor again, that we may not have much, 
But if we have the presence of Jesus, we have everything we need. And I can't explain it because, let's be honest, we're a bunch of normal people. We're not impressive as a church, right? And yet there's something unique about this place, about the church community, that makes this place more powerful than any other community that I've been a part of. That Jesus is present here, right? He's present in our children's ministry with, with their joy and their, their laughter. He's present in our students with their idealism and their passion. He's present amongst one another in our community groups when we pray for each other and eat together. That Jesus is present, and that is what makes the church unique. And that's what makes today so difficult, right? For those of us leaving and going to Shawnee, for those of us staying here and remaining in Olathe, you're saying goodbye to people who have become the presence of Jesus to you. I still remember my first Sunday here. It was almost three years ago. We were interviewing my wife and I, our son Isaiah, who's now almost three, was only a couple months old. And, and so Missy nursed him during the music, and, and she brought him back in. And right there in the back of the sanctuary, Isaiah just projectile vomited everywhere. I don't know if he was a dog, like marking his territory, like, I like this church. I think we'll stay here. Um, or what it was. He just threw it up everywhere, Right? And people were nice. They, they helped clean it up. And to me, it's just a picture of, of what this place became, not the vomit, but <laughs> the, just this fact that through so many small ways, you guys, this church, became the presence of Jesus to us, to our family. Right? Maybe it was cleaning up our son's vomit, or maybe it was helping us figure out how to raise a three and a one-year-old. Maybe it was praying for us, encouraging me after a, a sermon. Right? That's what makes the church great, is we become the presence of Jesus to one another. And that's why we have to keep planting more churches, keep planting more places that are ordinary and that, that offer the one thing we all need, which is the presence of Jesus. And the only way you can be present is to be in a place with someone. And so today is, is hard for us, because this is an ordinary place, but with an extraordinary message, the good news of Jesus and that's also why Jesus can never just be only our example, right? I mean, if, if you hear today, hey, you need to submit and you need to wait, right? You're just going to feel disappointed and like, oh, good, I can never do that because that's how I feel. And yet Jesus' life was lived so that you and I could have the strength and the power and the hope to live into the waiting and the submission. Right? Even Jesus had to wait. Right? Even Jesus had to submit. And in his waiting, in his submission, he means that we, we can wait knowing we won't wait forever, that we can submit knowing that his submission on a cross for us frees us to live under him in joy and hope and, and happiness. And above all, we know that because he died and he rose again, we will become everything he intends us to be. Because we're all becoming something. And he intends us to be like him. Let's pray. God, I give you thanks for your church. Thanks for the people in this room. And I pray Jesus would be present and near and his good news would take over our hearts and fill them with hope. God, I pray you'd help us to be people who submit, people who wait, people who trust you and live our lives after you in all that we say and do. And God, even now, would you be present and near to us in a way that could only be possible through your spirit, presenting Jesus to us clearly convictingly that we could be filled with hope of what he's done for us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.